Our Bible reading is Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Now that same day, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. What are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these past days? What things? About Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet and and powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's now the third day since these things have taken place. In addition, some of our, our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and, and found it just as the woman said, but they didn't see Jesus. How foolish you are and slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly. Stay with us. It's nearly evening. The the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Well, this is the point when younger children can, if they'd like to, get started on some activities of their own. There are some suggestions on our website alongside the link for this service. Uh, The rest of us, meanwhile, are going to travel for a while on the Emmaus Road. And I've come outside uh, just uh, to remind us uh, of something of that outside journey. Faith's a funny thing, isn't it? We tend to think that the dividing line between the believer and the unbeliever, between the the sceptic and the person who's persuaded, um, is sharp and clear. Uh, When so often that's very far from the case. Uh, The journey to faith is often much more faltering than that. Uh, And that's certainly true uh, here on the Emmaus Road. There's so much that is similar to last week. Uh, the disciples are in a similar way, just not anticipating the events that take place. Uh, They're despairing, despondent, Uh, no expectation of a resurrection. 
Uh, something happened, in other words, uh, to change these fearful disciples into fearless evangelists. Um, and similarly, the disciples are portrayed in a very negative light. Uh, how foolish, how slow to believe, uh, they're told in verse 25. Nothing like the account that you'd invent if you were producing some public relations for the early church. What we have is a journey within a journey. Uh, the disciples travel, they move, not just geographically, uh, they move spiritually as well. And I'd love us to, to follow the journey in this simple way. Uh, first, to notice the route that they take. Uh, second, the things that they see along the way. Uh, and third, the destination uh, that they arrive at. We're going to look at each of those uh, pretty briefly. First, the, the route that they take. Geographically, it's all pretty straightforward. Seven miles west uh, out of Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus. Um, I guess it would be like uh, walking down the, the guided busway uh, from, um, from Chesterton uh, to, uh, to Longstanton. Seven miles, pretty straightforward, not enormously exciting. Uh, the interest is in the spiritual route that they take. Uh, follow the story with me. It begins in animated conversation, doesn't it, there in, in verse 14. Uh, and we're told that at that point a, a stranger comes alongside them. And interestingly, we're specifically told that they are kept from recognising him, as if there is some intention uh, in this um, a prevention of them being able to identify Jesus at this point. Uh, he asks, what were you discussing as you walk along? And their response seems at the same time sort of sullen and irritated. Uh, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there this day? It's what everyone was talking about just as we are constantly discussing COVID, uh, so they were constantly discussing Jesus uh, and all that had happened to him. But instead of at that point saying, well, actually, funnily enough, I do know uh, what's happened in Jerusalem these last days, I was there. In fact, Jesus doesn't do that, doesn't reveal himself. Instead, he asks another question. And again, it, it, it seems to be like one of those counselling questions we saw last week, intended to draw them out. What things, he asks. About Jesus of Nazareth, they reply, verse 19. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And, and you can't help feeling that this is the moment. Um, this is like the perfect assist. They've set him up. The goal is open before him. But Jesus chooses, as it were, not to shoot. He doesn't declare himself. He doesn't say, no, they didn't see Jesus, but you do. Instead, a rebuke, verse 25. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
can't tell you how stunning this is because now we discover why Jesus has delayed, why, he's, why he was kept from, or why they were kept from recognizing him, why he hasn't chosen to make himself known because he wanted to do this because he wanted a, a seven-mile Bible study, a two-hour exploration of the Scriptures. He marches them all the way from Genesis to Malachi, revealing himself in the pages of the Old Testament. I can't tell you how significant uh, this is. First, because it tells us that this is the way it works, the way it's always worked. The works of God are explained by the words of God. What God has done makes sense when we hear what God has said. And second, that this is the way it's always going to work. On the road to Long Stanton, if you choose to walk it, you, you can't rely on having a resurrected Jesus appear at your side. But you can have a Bible in your hand. The same means of understanding is accessible to us as it was to them. And third, to our amazement perhaps, that the Word of God contained within the pages of the Scripture proves to be far more powerful than we could ever have dreamt. I wonder if you remember, not many chapters before this, back in chapter 16, Jesus told a story about a rich man and a beggar called Lazarus. They both died, and while Lazarus uh, uh, the beggar went to glory, the rich man who'd ignored God uh, came to judgment. And in judgment, uh, he begged that Lazarus might be allowed to return to his family, to, to warn them so that the same fate didn't come upon them. Listen to what he's told. If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Is that stunning? You know, when we think about this as a, as, a, as a dusty book, ancient words, not a bit of it. Living words with spiritual power, able to reveal spiritual truth, able to do so more convincingly, more powerfully, even than if we were confronted with someone who'd risen from the dead. That's why Jesus takes this route on the road to Emmaus. But having seen the route that he takes uh, through the Old Testament scriptures, uh, now notice uh, the things that they see uh, on this journey. We're told in verse 27 that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I take it that we're to understand that this wasn't Jesus extracting a few uh, kind of isolated verses. Um, and, uh, and picking those out, but that he was showing how the whole sweep of Scripture, the whole thing together, uh, makes him known. Uh, I don't know, what did he do? Did he perhaps take them to Genesis 12, to the promise that was made to Abraham, where he was told that through his descendants the whole world would be blessed? And did Jesus show how this was being fulfilled in him? Or, or, or did he take the, the, the temple, and the priests and the altar and show how every sacrifice that had ever been made was to find its fulfillment in the, in the one great sacrifice that Jesus made upon the cross. Or how, like a better Joshua, Jesus would be the one 
to lead them into the promised land. Or how in his death, rather like Samson, uh, even as he died, he was bringing destruction upon the people's enemies. Or, or how like David defeating Goliath, Jesus fights his people's battles. He overcomes an enemy that was far too great for the people to confront. Or how like Solomon, he was able to bring blessing to his people uh, with a wisdom that fulfilled and exceeded uh, even the great wisdom of King Solomon. All of that and more, I guess. Jesus showed how every verse, every, every part of scripture, every psalm, anticipated his life and his work. It's a little bit like one of those films where, where there's a twist uh, in uh, the final section of the film. And suddenly, because of what you discover at the end, you go back and read the entire rest of the film, watch the entire rest of the film through new eyes because of the way that the ending has turned out. That's what's happening here. It's like God's masterpiece from the poem last week, a painting that was thousands of years in the making and now made complete in Jesus Christ. And as he explains all of this to the disciples on the Emmaus Road, a transformation takes place. Despondent disciples are made new. And while in one sense that process happens gradually over the hours of that time spent in the scriptures, in another sense it happens in an instant. We've seen the route, uh, we've seen the view along the way. Now, finally, see the destination to which Jesus leads them. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Such a simple act of ordinary hospitality. It's too late to travel on. So an invitation to share their table. But there's nothing ordinary about this meal. Almost everything gets reversed. For when he was at table with them, it was he, Jesus, verse 30, who took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Do you see the reversals? The stranger becomes the host. Those who considered themselves hosts become guests, eating at the table of the Lord himself. A false story gives way to a true story. Mistaken beliefs about a tragic death are overtaken by the real story of a suffering and glorious Messiah. Not now tragedy, but triumph. And those two angelic witnesses at the tomb are replaced by two human witnesses on the road. It's as if just in an instant, everything snaps into focus for them so that they say to one another, verse 32, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. In that moment of the breaking of the bread, the familiar words, uh, maybe they saw the marks on his hands. Their eyes are opened. Uh, they know that Jesus has spoken to them. And because he has spoken to them, they must speak to others. So back to Jerusalem they go to declare what they've seen. 
Well, in a moment, we'll see what happens when they get there. But before they, we do that, we're going to uh, sing another song. Uh, it's a song that, as you'll see in the lyrics, picks up some of these themes of strangers and journeys and finding our spiritual bearings. Uh, members of the Beecham and the White family are going to lead us as we sing. Do stand as we sing together. We left the disciples uh, hurrying back down the road to Jerusalem uh, to tell what they have seen. Uh, let's see what happens when they get there. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 33. I'm going to read through to the end of the chapter. As I do so, uh, would you notice just how faltering uh, the journey to faith proves to be? Uh, Luke chapter 24, uh, and beginning to read at verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Striking how many elements recur in this section. The starting point is the same, isn't it? The disciples begin with confusion and despair. At the root is the same. Understanding comes as Jesus opens their minds to the scripture. Even the end point is the same, as the disciples become witnesses to all that they have seen and heard. Uh, there are even elements that are, are similarly ironic, even humorous perhaps. Uh, for example, I, I can't help thinking how it must have been for those two disciples who, who hurried back uh, to deliver uh, their earth-shattering news. You can almost imagine them on the road, can't you, uh, deciding how they were going to uh, tell their story. Uh, would they do it all at once, burst into the room, uh, he's risen, we've met him? 
uh, or would they do it slightly more gradually? Uh, listen, you'll never guess who we had dinner with tonight. Well, whichever plan they'd hatched uh, for the delivery of their news, uh, the whole thing was taken out of their hands because as they burst into the room, uh, they discovered that the disciples uh, were already declaring to one another, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. I can't help feeling that it must have been uh, something of a, an anticlimax, uh, sort of rather having your thunder stolen uh, at that moment. And I also can't help wondering if um, uh, maybe uh, somewhere uh, in the midst of that melee, uh, there were some women who were listening to the men uh, getting all excited and thinking to themselves, do you know, we told you so. But belief is kind of dawning and not dawning, isn't it? Uh, they're saying it's true, the Lord has risen. But then, verse 36, when Jesus actually comes and stands among them, it's not as if they say, oh, Jesus, wonderful, we were just talking about you. Now, the idea of Jesus being risen doesn't seem to prepare them at all for the reality of his presence among them. They're startled, they're frightened. They think it must be a ghost, which is why Jesus shows them his hands and his feet. I take it that the nail marks removed any question or any doubts about his identity and, and the physicality of his, of his body removed any question about this being a bodily resurrection. And yet still, verse 41, they did not believe it because of joy and amazement. Almost as if it was too good to be true. They, they didn't trust themselves because they wanted it so badly. And at that point, Jesus even eats in their presence. Now that tells us quite a bit, doesn't it, about the resurrected life, the new heavens and the new earth. But finally, they come to believe not because of what they, they see, but because of what they hear. Because once again, Jesus opens their minds by taking them to the scriptures by telling them what is written. We've seen it before. What God has done is explained by what God says. Well, two implications uh, as we wrap up. Um, I kind of want to speak to two groups of people, if I may. Uh, I suppose the first group are those who are um, new uh, to the road. Um, to you, I'd love to encourage you to, to walk the road for a way. I'm sure there are some for whom the idea of, of a resurrected man, uh, of life after death, of forgiveness for sin, hope in the face of death in our shattered world, that, that all of those things sound well, just far-fetched. Uh, you're someone who's not yet ready to believe. Uh, like these disciples, you, you, you can't see it, you, you can't imagine it, you can't conceive of really coming uh, to believe that these things are true. Well, if that's you, can, can I encourage you just to sit out on the road, walk it for a bit, see where it leads. Uh, think about these things, talk about these things, uh, read about these things. Because as you do, it might just be 
that as it were the Lord Jesus comes alongside you. And if he does, then chances are he'll do what he did here. He'll take you to scripture and he'll open your mind to understand the truth of the things that you read there. Uh, next week we're, we're beginning a series of talks um, in an Old Testament book, the book of the prophet Daniel. Well, put Jesus to the test. Come back. Stick with it uh, for, for a number of weeks and see if it isn't the case uh, that as we look at the book of Daniel, uh, we find things concerning Jesus, even in that ancient Old Testament book. But maybe um, the roadblock is rather different for you. Uh, maybe you find yourself thinking, I can never become a Christian because even if there are some things about the Christian faith that, that I find quite admirable, there are other things that I hear Christians saying that frankly I find objectionable. Well, if that's the case, then can I say, if that's your roadblock, don't begin there. Begin with a bit that really matters. Begin with this question of whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Because that's the game changer, isn't it? Frankly, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then who cares about all that other stuff? But if he did, then everything looks different. So come back next week. Um, hear some more uh, from the Bible. Uh, sign up, maybe, to a group that we're putting together of people who are going to uh, read Mere Christianity, uh, C.S. Lewis's classic. Um, and then meet online to discuss it. Uh, you find details of that on our website. Walk the road a bit. See what you find there. But, but then secondly, um, can I talk to those who have been on the road a little longer um, and end with an encouragement uh, to you to, to connect with Christ? I think that's the striking thing in the final part of this story, that even though these disciples have in their heads the idea of the resurrection, they still aren't prepared for the reality of his presence. And I worry that that can be alarmingly true of us too, of those of us who speak Christ's name, we recite his truth, we know his stories, we believe in his gospel, we meet with his people, we even speak about him to others. And yet, the risen Christ is still an idea in our heads rather than a, a lived experience in our lives. But if I can put it like this, that the whole point of the resurrection is so that it is possible to have a living relationship with Jesus Christ by his Spirit. Yet, many of us are in reality um, pressing on in our Christian lives as if we were relating to a, to a dead man. I, I don't know, if I can put it like this, it's almost as if our Christian lives are, are as if we, we come to, to a graveside to remember um, a loved one that we've lost. Uh, and remembering how much they matter to us, well, that's, that's quite emotional and nostalgic. Recalling all they've said to us can feel a little bit inspiring. Putting something on their grave can be symbolic of how much they still mean to us. But at the end of the day, there's no relationship because the person's dead. The Christian life's not supposed to be like that. 
we're not relating to, um, to, to a dead person who's spoken to us in the past. No, God calls us into a living relationship with a Christ who speaks to us and who's present with us here and now. Christ is risen. That means that he can be, he must be, a living presence in our lives. We should meet him in our prayers, experience him in the fellowship of believers, encounter him in the scriptures, know him in the breaking of bread. And even if many of those things are not possible for us for this period of lockdown, some of them are, we can come to Christ in the quiet of our homes. We can meet him in the pages of his word. And I'd love to, to encourage us to test him on this. See if he doesn't make good on his promise. And as the risen Lord, make his presence known to us. Let me lead us in a prayer as we close. Living Lord Jesus, triumphant Lord, we praise you that because of your death, which makes the forgiveness of our sins possible, and because of your resurrection, uh, which makes a relationship with you and life eternal possible. Uh, because of these things, uh, we can, we should, we must encounter you uh, in our lives today. Uh, please would you uh, help us uh, to praise you as we should and to obey you uh, as our living Lord. And we pray it for your name's sake. Amen. Oh, well, if children have been out doing things, then uh, uh, let's gather together because we're going to sing a final song now. A great song to end with. Uh, Death is defeated. <laughs>